Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Can someone please give me a uh, sound check, please, to make sure that you can all hear me? Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Allahumma salli wa sallim wa barik ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een amma ba'd. So welcome to another session with QP. And alhamdulillah last week we finished uh, the tafsir of Surah Al-Alaq. So alhamdulillah we, we managed to complete that. And then um, as I announced last week that inshallah ta'ala today what we would be doing and uh, possibly over next week as well in fact, most likely next week as well, we'll be doing a couple of specials. So the first one will be today, which will be on Sajd al-Tilawa. And then the next one, inshallah, I hope that we will finish this today. And then I hope that tomorrow, uh, next week, rather, inshallah ta'ala, we can go on to another special. And that is, we wanted to speak about the science of al-waqf al-ibtida, uh, which is the science of how to pause and how to start in terms of your recitation of the Qur'an when it comes to the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When and where can we pause? And how then do we restart and when and where do we restart from so that's something inshallah which we will uh, inshallah i hope that next week that's going to be our second special and then after that inshallah we can continue with uh, the tafasir we'll, we'll move on to surah al-teen uh, and then continue with that as well at some point inshallah i hope also uh, at some point either towards the end of this academic year so our academic year as you know kind of goes on till about ramadan uh, around some time then uh, or possibly even after that Ramadan, that summer break, uh, I will do inshallah ta'ala a session for those of you that are interested, just as an additional thing, where we go through a matan, a classical text on ulum al-Qur'an, on the sciences of the Qur'an, because we're discussing some of them in more detail, and we'll continue to do that, we'll continue inshallah ta'ala to look at certain sciences and discuss them in greater detail, but at the same time I also want to inshallah ta'ala uh, give you an overview, where we can read something together, so at least you feel like you've finished um, you finished uh, like something like classical text on, on, on just the basics of ulum al-Quran and the sciences of the Quran. But inshallah, that's something which we'll look at closer to that time, uh, inshallah ta'ala. And that will be something additional. It won't be part of our QP classes. It'll be something extra for those of you that are interested. So um, some of this stuff I, I think is important because it's not stuff that's widely studied. It's not stuff that people usually discuss or, or teach like al-waqf al-ibtida and certain other uh, topics that we do they're not very common topics that you will find out there and so therefore i think it's more important and beneficial and also some of the methodologies of the scholars of tafsir that it's more important and beneficial to bring it into our discussion here on qp but there are other things that inshallah ta'ala are going to be extra that i don't necessarily think that you know is something that everyone has to be a part of or maybe there's a lot of people that wouldn't really want to go to that level of depth um so therefore inshallah ta'ala we can uh, we can uh, do that. So in terms of the waqf al-ibtida, some of you are asking how detailed it's going to be. Uh, I'm going to try to condense it into a single lesson. And, and the reason why is because it is a science. Right? As you know, scholars have written whole books on this and there are there is poems that have been written on this and so on. We can go into a great uh, amount of detail. The problem is that I think for I think for the vast majority, I think that will be too much. I think it will be something which will become very... Uh, you know, it will be very, um, very detailed, very nitty gritty, very, uh, you know, at one level, it will, it will require us to go into such depth concerning different verses and 
and different takes. And, and as uh, we will see next week, inshallah, uh, this is a science which has a great deal of ijtihad, which is included in it as well. And therefore, that issue of ijtihad and the differences of the Qur'an and the scholars of Qur'an in terms of these issues can itself become very, very difficult to digest uh, in the way that we want to do it here. So uh, what I want to do, inshallah, like we did with Qira'at, and Qira'at was also something which we could have done in a great amount of detail. The lives and the manahij of the Mufassirin is something which we can go into a great level of detail. We could do like five, six, seven lessons on each one of those topics. Our objective here is to kind of give people uh, the basics, give them an overview of what it means, make them aware that, look, actually this is something that exists and the scholars have written about extensively and it's something which is studied. And inshallah, then over time, as we progress through the Quran, inshallah, the many years to come that Allah gives us long life upon this, then inshallah ta'ala, we can revisit some of this and go and take it to another level. And so therefore, you know, we've done like a foundation and then inshallah, we can go to an intermediate level over time as well. So let's not just dive deep into something that's so, uh, you know, becomes so detailed and becomes so technical that then most people just kind of get lost after after a short while anyway. So uh, before we continue with today's lesson, last week I asked a research question. And that was that when we were speaking about um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, one of the ways that he addresses the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in the Quran, in Surah Iqra, in Surah Alaq, is that he calls him Abd. Right? He calls him servant. Abdan idha salla. And I wanted you to look at the different contexts in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala calls someone by Abd, calls the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa He refers to him not by his name or by his title of Prophet or Messenger, but he calls him his Abd. He calls him a servant. And the different contexts that you find within the Quran for that. So I don't know if anyone came up with anything uh, or if there's anyone that wants to share that now, but I'll give you a couple of minutes uh, for those of you that do. Okay, very good. So Muhammad uh, addressing the Quraysh. Very good. Revelation or delivery of message, very good, and praising the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Okay, very good. So uh, those are like the general ones, right? So uh, addressing the Quraysh, I would um, change it slightly, Muhammad, in terms of the context. The addressing the Quraysh one, I would substitute that for calling it the in defense of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, because normally when Allah azza wa jalla addresses the Quraysh, or even other than the Quraysh, when Allah azza wa jalla is speaking to them in this context, like in the context that we have here in Surah Al-Alaq, Abdan idha salla, ra'ita al-ladhi yanha Abdan idha salla, it is done in the context of addressing the Quraysh, but it is done in the context of defending the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, right? Defending the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and so therefore, number one is with the Prophet sallallahu alaihi uh, being defended by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran and when Allah Azza wa does so he calls him Abd right and he refers to him as Abd and there is a whole thing that you could go into this concerning therefore the merits of Ubudiyah right and we know the Prophet was given the choice of being a king and a prophet or being a messenger and a servant of Allah and he chose the latter so that's like a whole different discussion so one is Allah Azza wa defending the Prophet in the Quran by using this term Abd that he is his servant and slave. The second is in terms of uh, the Prophet ﷺ receiving the message of, of the Qur'an, right? And in, in terms of it, of the Qur'an being revealed, Alhamdulillah alladhi anzala ala abdihi al-kitab, right? Abdihi al-kitab. So Allah is referring to it in terms of the ayat of the Qur'an and the revelation of the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then you have, um, and similar to it, Tabarak alladhi nazzal al-Furqana, and then also in terms of 
the first one addressing the Quraysh and defending the Prophet ﷺ, you could use the verses in which Allah says, When kuntum fi so that's also speaking about the revelation of the Quran, but in the same time it is also speaking about uh, the Prophet وسلم, div, uh, being defended by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala against some of the lies that the Quraysh had. And then praising the Prophet وسلم, one of those examples uh, could also be even the verse that we did in Surah Iqra that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is praising the Prophet وسلم, for his worship right, and for his uh, servitude subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the Prophet وسلم, is the greatest of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's servants. Okay, so today insha'Allah ta'ala we're going to speak about sujood al-tilawa. That's because as we know at the end of Surah Al-Alaq, which is what we finished with last week, the very last verse, كَلَّا لَا تُطِعْهُ وَاسْجُدْ وَاقْتَرِبْ has a command to prostrate. And therefore the etiquette is that you fall into prostration called sajda tilawa. And we want to speak about this in slightly more detail, but not just in terms of uh, in terms of the fiqh aspect, which uh, there is obviously some detail to it, and I'm sure uh, Sheikh Abu Isa in our P has, has covered, the, I, actually I, I don't know where it's reached, but maybe uh, he's covered this topic already in some detail, and I think he has. Um, but also we want to look at in the Qur'an the different uh, verses that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commands us to make sajda on, right? Commands us to make sajda on and to look at some of the context be, behind them because there is some difference of opinion concerning that as well. The sajda tilawa is the command that Allah azza wa gives in the Qur'an uh, or it is the verse of the Qur'an that is recited in which there is a command to worship and prostrate and then it is recommended or obligatory, depending upon which opinion you follow, that you fall into prostration after the recitation of that verse. And clearly there is a great deal of uh, nuance and detail within that definition itself. For example, if I'm the one reading, or if I'm the one attentively listening, or if I'm the one who's not really listening, but I happen to be there and someone is reading those verses, right? That's like a whole nuance. Is it something which is an obligation or is it something which is recommended? Is it something which you can do, for example, you know, what, how do you do it inside Salah? How do you do it outside of Salah? How do you do it, for example, if, uh, if you're, for example, uh, reading but you're traveling, right? You're, you're not necessarily stationary. If I'm sitting down, do I have to stand up and go into sajda? Or is it okay just to go in from the sitting position? Do I have to raise my hands? Do I have to make takbir? All of those issues, inshallah, we're going to speak about. But when we look at, uh, let us first look at the types of sajda or the, uh, the context or the topics and subjects uh, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions when it comes to sajda. Allah azza wa jalla when he gives the command to make sajda or the verses of sajda in the Quran, the sujood, at-tilawa verses, fall into two broad categories. One is a command where Allah azza wa jalla gives a command and then that is a verse of prostration because the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa prostrated at that time. So for example, the verse that we did in, in uh, Surah uh, Al-Alaq, كَلَّا لَا تُطِعْهُ وَاسْجُدْ وَاقْتَرِبْ no, rather do not obey them and prostrate. That's a command from Allah Azza wa Wasjud, prostrate, right? That's one uh, one type of sajda, one context in which the sajda comes in in the Quran. That Allah Azza wa mentions it in a verse in which it is a command to prostrate. And there are other uh, examples of that that we will go through as well. And the second context is the context of Allah Azza wa informing us, khabar. It is, an, uh, it is informative. So it's not a command to do something. But it is informative that Allah Azza wa Jal, for example, as he does at the end of Surah Al-A'raf when he speaks about the angels. And he says, إِنَّ الَّذِينَ عِنْدَ رَبِّكَ لَا يَسْتَكْبِرُونَ عَنْ عِبَادَتِهِ وَيُسَبِّحُونَهُ وَلَهُ يَسْجُدُونَ 
Indeed, those who are with your Lord, meaning the angels, do not have arrogance when it comes to worshipping Him, aren't too proud or arrogant to worship Allah, but rather they glorify and praise Him and they prostrate to Him. That's not the Prophet, uh, that's not Allah rather commanding us to prostrate. It is informative. Allah is informing us of the angels and how they behave and how they worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and how they prostrate to Him. But it is a verse of sajda because the Prophet prostrated. So those are the two general, if you like, contexts or categories in which the sujood tilawa will fall. Either it's a command in the verse or it is informative. It is something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is speaking about and that's something then which we uh, which we follow through on ourselves because it is something which the Prophet did. The sujood tilawa in the Quran are no more than 15. Right? So how many are there in the Quran? 15 is the maximum. Out of the 15, 10 are by consensus. 10 of those verses of Sajda to Tirawa are by consensus of the scholars of Islam, Ijma', by unanimity, that we prostrate, make Sajda to Tirawa after that recitation. Now, whether that's wajib or not, that's a different issue, right? We haven't come on to the ruling of whether it's something that's obligatory or recommended. I'm just talking about, is there a place where it's valid to make Sajda? Because you can't just make Sajda anywhere in the Quran. You can't just read any verse of the Quran and say I'm going to go into sajda now, sajda to tilawa. No, it is tawqifi, meaning that it is only something which we take from a text that is authentic that has come to us from the Prophet The question is when did the Prophet which verses of the Quran did he prostrate? What are those authentic narrations? That's where there's a difference of opinion. There is no one that says more than 15. 15 is the maximum. However, 10 of those 15 are mujma' aliha. They have unanimity right by consensus of the scholars of islam there are places of prostration that remains with the five the five means that's those five that there's a difference of opinion some of the scholars said it's a place of sajda some of them said that it is not right now if you want to remember which of those five are the ones that there is a difference of opinion on then the easiest way to do so at least the way that i remember them anyway um, and it's a good trivia question right if you ever want to ask a trivia question to someone um, for the quran this is a good one Where's the difference of opinion in terms of the sujood, a tilawa? The first of them is the double in hajj. Surah Al-Hajj has two. It's the only surah of the Quran that there is two sajdas in. The second one is the difference of opinion. The first one is by agreement of the scholars of Islam. The second one, there is a difference of opinion. So that's the first thing. There's only one. There's, there's a double. It's the double. The second one meaning the double where there is a difference of opinion. That's the first one. The second one is Surah Sad. And I remember Surah Sad because it is uh, it is the only sajda in a surah that has a single letter that it begins with. Because the surahs of the Quran that begin with a single letter from the huruf al-muqatta'at, from those surahs that open with, with those letters, is Surah uh, Qaf and Noon and Sad. And so Surah Sad is the only one that has a sajda. So you have the double of Surah Hajj and you have the single letter surah which is Surah Sad. There is no sajda in Surah Qaf nor in Surah Noon al-Qalam. Uh, and then the last three are also easy because they are the last three sajdas of the Quran. Right? What are the last three sajdas of the Quran? Who can tell me? Right? Who can put in the chat? The last three sajdas of the Quran are which three surahs? Which three surahs are the last three surahs of the Quran? Where there is a sajda. So we have surah, the double in surah al-hajj. We have the single Letter surah in which there is a sajda which is surah sad 
And then we have the last three sajdas of the Quran. The last three sajdas of the Quran would be which three surahs? Okay, Surah Alaq, very good. That's that's the last of the three. Right? But there's two others before that as well. And to be honest, we did Surah Alaq last week, so very good. Hamza Surah in Shikaq. Yeah, imagine Surah in Shikaq, and there's one more left then. So those are the last two. Which one comes before that? Which one comes before, before that? Surah Al-Alaq, Surah Al-Inshiqaq, and the one before it is? It's Surah Al-Najm, right? Surah Al-Najm, so not Surah Al-Tur, but Surah Al-Najm, right? The last verse of Surah Al-Najm, فَاسْجُدُوا لِلَّهِ وَعْبُدُوا So those three are the last three, so they're from the Mufassal. They're the only three sajdas that you have in the Mufassal. Remember what we said about the Mufassal from Surah Qaf onwards? We consider it to be the Qisar al-Mufassal. The short, uh, sorry, the Mufassal surahs begin from Surah Qaf all the way to the end of the Quran. So the way that you remember them is, number one, the double of Hajj. Number two, Surah Saad, the single letter surah. And number three, the, the ones in the Mufassal. Right? The Mufassal are those short surahs that begin from Surah Qaf onwards in the Quran. And those three would be Surah Al-Najm, Surah Al-Shiqaq, and Surah Al-Alaq. So what are the ten that, are, that there is agreement upon? And this agreement is mentioned by Ibn Hajar in Fatuh al-Bari, Imam al-Nawawi, mentions it in al-Majmu' Ibn Hazm, in al-Muhalla, and many of the other scholars of Islam, that these ten are agreed upon by the scholars of Islam. The first of them in the Qur'an that you find, and we're going through them in order now, from the beginning of the Qur'an onwards, is in Surah Al-A'raf, verse number 206. Allah Azza wa Jalla says, and it's the one that I just recited to you, and the example of an informative verse of sajda. إِنَّ الَّذِينَ عِنْدَ رَبِّكَ لَا يَسْتَكْبِرُونَ عِبَادَتِهِ وَيُسَبِّحُونَهُ وَلَهُ يَسْجُدُونَ Those who live in the presence of your Lord are not too proud to worship Him. They glorify Him and bow down before Him. Right? And one of the things that I want you to look at also is uh, in terms of those are the categories. We have commands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then we have the, the informative verses. But if you actually look at all of them in terms of their context, the topic that they will be speaking about, all of them speak about obedience to Allah and worship and submission to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. All of those verses are there to emphasize and pinpoint that issue of the tawheed of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In uh, the second of those sujoods or sajdas is the one in Surah Al-Ra'd. In verse number 15, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلِلَّهِ يَسْجُدُ مَنْ فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ طَوْعًا وَكَرْهًا all that are in heaven and earth submit to Allah alone, willingly or unwillingly, as do their shadows in the mornings and in the evenings. Right? That's the verse in Surah Al-Ra'ad in which there is a sajda. The third of the ten are the, is the sajda in Surah Al-Nahl, in Surah Al-Nahl, verses 49 and 50. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلِلَّهِ يَسْجُدُ مَا فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَمَا فِي الْأَرْضِ مِنْ دَابَّةٍ وَالْمَلَائِكَةُ وَهُمْ لَا يَسْتَكْبِرُونَ يَخَافُونَ رَبَّهُمْ مِنْ فَوْقِهِمْ وَيَفْعَلُونَ مَا يُؤْمَرُونَ It is to Allah that everything in the heavens and the earth submits every beast that moves, even the angels. They are free from arrogance, they fear their Lord above them, and they do as they are commanded. Right? Amazing verses. And inshallah ta'ala, when we come unto them in terms of the tafsir, we will speak about them in greater detail. Bismillah ta'ala. That's number three. The fourth uh, sajda in the Quran is in Surah Al-Isra, verses 107 to 109. And 
Obviously the sajda is at the end of these verses, right? The command is in the final sajda. But in context, it is a number of verses that give you that command, right? And so it's good to mention them in that context rather than just giving you the final of those verses. Allah Azza wa Jal says, قُلْ آمِنُوا بِهِ أَوْ لَا تُؤْمِنُوا إِنَّ الَّذِينَ أُوتُوا الْعِلْمَ مِنْ قَبْلِهِ إِذَا يُتْنَى عَلَيْهِمْ يَخِرُّونَ لِلْأَذْقَانِ سُجَّدًا وَيَقُولُونَ سُبْحَانَ رَبِّنَا إِنْ كَانَ وَعْدُ رَبِّنَا لَمَفْعُولًا وَيَخِرُّونَ لِلْأَذْقَانِ يَبْكُونَ وَيَزِيدُهُمْ خُشُوعًا Say, whether you believe it or not, those who were given knowledge earlier fall down on their faces when it is recited to them and say glory to our Lord. Our Lord's promise has been fulfilled. They fall down on their faces weeping and the Quran increases their humility. Right? That's towards the end of Surah Al-Isra. The next sajda is the one in Surah Maryam, verse 58. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says after mentioning the stories of a number of prophets of Maryam, uh, Isa alayhi salam, Zakariya, Yahya, Ibrahim, a number of the prophets of Allah, Allah then says, These were the prophets that Allah blessed from the seed of Adam, of those we carried in the ark with Nuh, from the seed of Ibrahim and Israel, and those we guided and chose. When the revelations of the Lord of mercy were recited to them, they fell to their knees and they wept. Who can tell me in this verse, just as a point of benefit, who is Israel? So Allah Azza wa Jalla says, وَمِن ذُرِّيَّةِ إِبْرَاهِيمَ Israel, From the seed, meaning from the lineage, from the children of Ibrahim and Israel. Who is Israel? After whom Banu Israel is named. Who is it referring to? Who is the individual that is called Israel? Yaqub, very good. Yaqub, alayhi salatu wassalam. From the names that he is known by and referred to in the Quran is Israel. Kullu ta'ami kana hillan libani Israel illa ma harrama Israelu ala nafsih. Okay, the next one is the first sajda in Surah Hajj. Right. So this is the first one, not the second one. The first one being in Surah, in, in verse number 18. Of Surah Al-Hajj, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, أَلَمْ تَرَ أَنَّ اللَّهَ يَسْجُدُ لَهُ مَنْ فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَمَنْ فِي الْأَرْضِ وَالشَّمْسُ وَالْقَمَرُ وَالشَّمْسُ وَالْقَمَرُ وَالنُّجُومُ وَالْجِبَالُ وَالشَّجَرُ وَالدَّوَابُ وَكَثِيرٌ مِّنَ النَّاسِ وَكَثِيرٌ حَقَّ عَلَيْهِ الْعَذَابِ وَمَنْ يُهِنِ اللَّهُ فَمَا لَهُ مِنْ مُكْرِمٍ do you not realize, O Prophet ﷺ, that everything in the heavens and earth submits to Allah, the sun, the moon, the stars, the mountains, the trees and the animals? So do many human beings, Those for, though for many others punishment is well deserved. Anyone disgraced by Allah will have no one to honor him, for indeed Allah does whatever he wills, subhanahu wa ta'ala. The next sajda in the Quran that is agreed upon by the scholars is the one in Surah Al-Furqan, in verse number 60. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَإِذَا قِيلَ لَهُمُ اسْجُدُونِ الرَّحْمَانِ قَالُوا وَمَا الرَّحْمَانُ أَنَسْجُدُونِ مَا تَأْمُرُنَا وَزَادَهُمْ نُفُورًا yeah, When they are told, bow down before the Lord of mercy, they say, what is the Lord of mercy? Should we bow down before anything you command? And they turn even further away. Right? And that is a verse that we are told then to command uh, or commanded to prostrate in or after we recite. The next sajda in the Quran that the scholars agreed upon is the one in Surah Al-Naml, 
verses 25 and 26, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, أَلَّا يَسْجُدُوا لِلَّهِ الَّذِي يُخْرِجُ الْخَبَأَ فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ وَيَعْلَمُ مَا تُخْفُونَ وَمَا تُعْلِنُونَ اللَّهُ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا هُوَ رَبُّ الْعَرْشِ الْعَظِيمِ Should they not worship Allah who brings forth what is hidden in the heavens and the earth and knows both what you people conceal and what you declare. He is Allah, there is no one worthy of worship except Him, the Lord of the mighty throne. The next one, and this is number nine, of the ones that have been uh, unanimously agreed upon by the scholars is the one in Surah Al-Sajda, verse number 15, that Allah Azza wa Jal says, إِنَّمَا يُؤْمِنُ بِآيَاتِنَا الَّذِينَ إِذَا ذُكِّرُوا بِهَا خَرُّوا سُجَّدًا وَسَبَّحُوا بِحَمْدِ رَبِّهِمْ وَسَبَّحُوا بِحَمْدِ رَبِّهِمْ وَهُمْ لَا يَسْتَكْبِرُونَ The only people who truly believe in our messages are those who, when they are reminded of them, they bow down in worship, celebrate, their Lord's praises and do not think themselves above this. Right? That's the one in Surah Al-Sajdah. And then the final one that the scholars have agreed upon is the one in Surah Fussilat. Surah Fussilat, which is just before the Qisar, before the Mufassal begin. Right? So this is now towards the 25th juz of the Quran. Verses 37 and 38 of Surah Fussilat. Allah Azza wa Jal says, وَمِنْ آيَاتِهِ اللَّيْلُ وَالنَّهَارُ وَالشَّمْسُ وَالْقَمَرُ لا تسجدوا للشمس ولا للقمر واسجدوا لله الذي خلقهن إن كنتم إياه تعبدون فإن استكبروا فالذين عند ربك يسبحون له بالليل والنهار وهم لا يسأمون The night, the day, the sun, the moon are only a few of his signs. Do not bow down in worship to the sun or the moon but bow down to Allah who created them if it is truly him that you worship. If the disbelievers are too arrogant then remember those who are with your Lord glorify Him tirelessly night and day. Right? Night and day. So these are uh, the ten that the scholars agreed upon. Right? The ones that we just mentioned. Just as a quick recap, it was in Surah Al-Araf, then Surah Al-Ra'd, then Surah Al-Isra, uh, Surah Al-Nahl rather, then Surah Al-Isra, then Surah Maryam, then Surah Al-Hajj, uh, then Surah Al-Furqan, then Suratun, uh, which one was on after Furqan? Suratun Naml, and then the ones in Sajda and Fussilat. Right, those are the ten that the scholars have agreed upon. Right, so that we leaves then the other five. Right, so we said the other five. The five that we said that you have to remember because they're the odd ones out are the other five. So the one in uh, Surat, uh, the second in Suratul Hajj, the one in Surah Sad, and the last three in the Quran in the Mufassar, which is Suratul Najm al Inshiqaq and Suratul Alaq. So those are the ones that the scholars disagreed upon. Some of them said it is a place of sajda, and others said that it is not a place of sajda. The first of them is the second one in Suratul Hajj. So the second sajda in Suratul Hajj is the one that the scholars also differed concerning. Right? And that's the verse in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says towards the very end of Surah Al-Hajj, يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا ارْكَعُوا وَاسْجُدُوا وَاعْبُدُوا رَبَّكُمْ مَفْعَلُوا الْخَيْرَ لَعَلَّكُمْ تُفْلِحُونَ Or you who believe, bow down, meaning make ruku' and make sajda, prostrate, and worship your Lord and do good if you indeed wish to be successful. The scholars differed over that. Some of the scholars said that it is a place of sajda, it is from the sujud al-tilawa, and others said that it is not. From those who said that it is from the sujud al-tilawa is the Shafi'is in their madhab. And Imam Ahmad, although he has uh, the other narration as well, but the madhab of Imam Ahmad. And Imam Malik in one of his narrations from him as well. And it is the opinion of others from amongst the scholars of Islam, such as Ishaq 
Ibn Rahawayr ibn Mundir and Abu Thawr and Dawood al-Zahiri and many others from amongst the scholars of Islam. The majority, in fact, said that it is a place where you make sajda. And that is based upon the hadith uh, that is in Abu Dawood and Ibn Majah of Amr ibn al-As radiyallahu an. That he said that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam taught me 15 sajdas in the Qur'an. Right? So he's saying you taught me 15 sajdas in the Qur'an. Three of them were in the Mufassal, they're the ones that we mentioned. in Surah Al-Hajj Sajdatan and in Surah Al-Hajj there were two of them. In Surah Al-Hajj there were two of them. However, this is a, a narration that is weak in terms of its chain of narration. But it is mentioned as at the very least a supporting evidence. Uh, also it is said that Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anhu as Imam Malik rahimahullah mentions in his Muwatta, he narrates this statement of Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anhu that he recited Surah Al-Hajj and he made two sajdas. And then he said, Inna hadhi surah fuddilat bi sajdatain. This surah has a virtue above other surahs and that is that is that it is the only one that has two sajdas within it. However, a, a narration that is authentic is one that you will find in a Tirmidhi from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in the narration of Uqba ibn Amir radiallahu anhu that he said, O Messenger of Allah, was Surah Al-Hajj given special preference by having two sajdas in it? And the Prophet said, Yes, and whosoever doesn't make both of them hasn't fully recited or hasn't recited that surah. Right? And that is an authentic narration in At-Tirmidhi. To such an extent that Ibn Qudama, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said concerning this issue that amongst the early companions, like amongst the early generations, the generation of the companions and their students, there was no one that was known to have differed with this position that Surah Al-Sajda has two sajdas. There is a double sajda in that surah. And, uh, and he mentions, uh, Ibn Qudama mentions the narration of uh, or the statement of Abu Ishaq al-Sabi'i, uh, Abu Ishaq al-Sabi'i, rahimahullah ta'ala, from the famous scholars of hadith. He said that I have met people for over 70 years and every one of them, meaning from the scholars, every one of them made two sajdas in Surah Al-Hajj. Right? So that's the first position and obviously it's a stronger position. That's the position that we chosen and to some extent this uh, particular if you like this particular bath this particular issue this particular kind of research issue is isn't something which is uh, especially in our time one that is needed in the sense that more or less you know wherever you go in the world now people use the standard mushaf even though there is a difference of opinion as we will see in some of the madahib but people generally use a single mushaf and they will make the sajdas that are mentioned to them as well now but we want to know because as most serious students of the quran that actually there is some difference of opinion concerning these issues. The second, uh, those scholars that differed with the sajda, that is the second sajda in Surah Al-Hajj, they said that, there is, that it is not from the places of sajda. This verse isn't counted from them. And this is the famous position of the uh, Hanafi madhab. And it's also a narration in the Maliki and Hanbali madhabs as well. And it was a position that was chosen by Ibn Hazm. And they're not the only ones amongst the scholars of old that also held this position. It is said in Hassan al-Basri and Sa'id ibn Jubair. They were of the position, and that's perhaps, and Allah knows best, because they didn't consider those ahadith, the ones that we mentioned, especially in Abu Ibn Majah and Abu Dawood and others, they didn't consider them to be authentic, or maybe it's not something which they considered to be authentic, and so therefore they stayed away from this second sajda in Surat Sad, uh, in Surat Al Hajj. The second sajda which is differed upon is the one in Surah Sad. Surah Sad. And some of the scholars said that it's not from a place of sajda, but rather the sajda that was made here, 
and the sajda that is being made here by the Prophet Dawood because it's the in the story of the Prophet Dawood when he has those two people come and they have a dispute and he is unable to judge uh, upon them in, with clarity and then Allah Azza wa Jal corrects him. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says, So then he sought Allah's forgiveness and he fell into bowing and he turned to Allah Azza wa in tawbah. Right? That's the verse in which it is sajda. Some of the scholars said actually that sajda that is made or even in the story of Dawood that's not a sajda of tilawah, it's a sajda to shukr. It's one that he made out of thankfulness to Allah because Allah corrected him and Allah accepted his forgiveness and Allah showed him the correct way and so his prostration and there's a narration that we will see uh, that will speak to that as well uh, from some of the companions and therefore that's not a sajda of tilawah, it is a sajda that was made out of Thankfulness to Allah, such that the shukr, and therefore it's not followed, right? You don't make such that the shukr because someone else has something to be grateful for. And that was the position of Al Imam Shafi'i, it is the position of the Shafi'i Madhab. And it is also a narration in the position, uh, in the, a narration in the Madhab of Al Imam Ahmad Rahimahullah. So as you can see, if you're Shafi'i, you don't believe in, the, in there being 15 uh, sajdas. You will say there's 14 sajdas, right? You'll take off the ones in which there is a difference of opinion and your method says that there isn't right that's how uh, the scholars would do it anyway in the past anyway uh, maybe not so so more now the second position on this issue is that surah sad the sajda is a sajda it's an actual sajda and this is the opinion of the majority of the scholars of islam uh, it is the opinion of the hanafi method the maliki method uh, also in the method of imam Muhammad, and even the method of imam shafi you will find uh, one of the uh, narrations supporting this as well ibn hazm al-hasan al-basri ishaq Ibn Rahawai, Sufyan al-Thawri, many others from amongst the scholars of Islam. And they based that upon the authentic narration that is in the Sunan of Abi Dawood, the hadith of Abu Sa'id al-Khudri, radiyallahu an, that he said that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam was reciting upon the minbar, Surah Sad. So when he read, when he came to the, to the verse of prostration, he got off the minbar and he prostrated. And the people prostrated with him. When he came to that verse, he got off and he prostrated. And he, and the people prostrated with him. طيب. Um, so the Prophet sallallahu uh, in that hadith, that's an authentic hadith. You also have the statement of Ibn Abbas radiyallahu anhum, that the Prophet said sallallahu alayhi wa sallam concerning this, and it's an authentic narration also in Sunan Nasa'i, that the sajda in Surah, uh, Surah Sad, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said that the Prophet Dawood made it out in tawbah. He made the, the prostration out of tawbah. Right, repenting to Allah Azza wa Jal, that's the reason why he made sajda. As for us, he said, we do it out of thankfulness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? And so therefore that position, the first position that we said, those scholars said that it's a sajda to shukr, the Prophet saying it is yes. We thank Allah Azza wa Jal for accepting the tawbah of Dawood but it's still a sajda to tilawah. And so therefore it doesn't negate the position of it being a place where you make prostration because the Prophet clearly mentioned as being a place where you prostrate. He said, we make the sajda out of gratefulness. Right? And so therefore the Prophet didn't make that as a reason to not prostrate at that particular position. The third uh, or, and the final three, the Mufassal, Surah Al-Najm, Shikak and Alaq, the sujood, all of them are together. Those scholars who said that you prostrate in one, say you prostrate in all three. And those who say that you don't prostrate in any of them, they negate all three. So they don't have. So there's basically the difference of opinion will fall in the one in Surah Al-Hajj, the second one, the one in Surah Sad, and the three at the end is one issue that the scholars have. Either you agree with them all or you disagree with them all. 
The first position is that it is a place of sajda. And this is the opinion of the majority, Imam al-Shafi'i, uh, the Shafi'i Madhab, the Hanbali Madhab, the Hanafi Madhab, and Imam Malik in one of his narrations from him and Ibn Hazm. And that's because of the hadith, and there are a number of narrations, but for example, the hadith in Al-Bukhari and Muslim of Abu Rafi' radiyallahu an, that he said that I uh, prayed by, with Abu Huraira radiyallahu an, Salatul Isha, and he read Surat Al-Inshiqaq, Ida Sama'un Shaqqat, and then he made the, uh, the sajda in the surah. So I asked him, what is this sajda? He said, this is the sajda that I made with the Prophet ﷺ when he was leading us in prayer, and I will continue to make this sajda until I meet him once again. Right? And also similar to it is the hadith of Abu Hurairah in Sahih Muslim. He said that we would make the sajda with the Prophet ﷺ a recitation in Surah Al-Inshiqaq and in Iqra' Bismi Rabbika Alladhi Khalaq. Right? And that's there for a proof for Surah Al-Alaq as well. And the one in Surah Al-Najm is the famous hadith of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud in Surah Al-Sahih Bukhari. And we mentioned it before where the Prophet came by the Kaaba and he was reading Surah Al-Najm and the Quraysh are listening. And then when he comes to the end, he falls into prostration and they fall into prostration alongside him as well. Right? And we mentioned that narration before. That's the evidences for this. The second position in this issue is that there is no sajda. And this is the predominant position of the Malikis in their madhab. Right, and it's the opinion of some of the other scholars of Islam, Sa'id ibn Musayyib, Sa'id ibn Jubayr, Ikrimah, Mujahid, Ata' Tawus, all of them, it is said, had this position that there is no sajda in these final in these final surahs. So there are scholars who say there are only 10 sajdas in the Quran, or 11, or 12, or 10, but no one will go above 15. 15 is the maximum, and that is the strongest position, that all 15 that are mentioned authentically in the Sunnah are positions of sajda, where you make the sajda by the permission of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that then brings us on to the actual issue here that we want to discuss now that we know the sajdas and those that are agreed upon, those that there may be some difference of opinion in. The issue therefore is, what is the ruling of the sajda to tilawa? Right? What is the ruling of the sajda to tilawa? And there's actually three different opinions uh, upon this, uh, on this issue. The, uh, the two that we kind of need to know is that one says that it is sunnah, and one says that it is wajib. Right? The one that says that it is wajib, they say it is always wajib. Wherever you are, in the salah, outside of salah, you must always prostrate. It is an obligation upon you. And that is the position of the Hanafi madhab. And one of the narrations in the madhab of Imam Ahmad, and it's a position that was chosen and supported and uh, strengthened or or was, was greatly supported by Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah. Rahimahullah ta'ala ibn Taymiyyah held this position. That you don't get a choice. It's not a choice. You don't... It's not up to you whether you want to make it. It's a command from Allah or it's something that Allah is telling you, you should, have, you should prostrate here. And so therefore that's a frustration that should be made. That's his position, rahimahullah. And they based that upon a number of verses in the Quran and a number of hadith. From them is the verse in Surah Al-Inshiqaq, the verse of Sajda. Allah says concerning the disbelievers, what is wrong with them that they don't believe. And when the Quran is recited to them, they don't prostrate, meaning when those verses come upon them. And Ibn Taymiyyah said, and that's a general, it's a general command. Allah doesn't say inside the prayer, outside the prayer, if you're doing A, B, C, or X, Y, Z. Allah says generally, you must make this prostration. That's how we differ from those disbelievers, from the Quraysh and others who understand the Quran because of, by virtue of knowing Arabic, but they don't necessarily make the sajda uh, from the Quran because of their lack of iman. How do we differentiate from them? Because we make that sajda. Similar to it is the verse in Surah um, in, is the verse in the command in Surah Al-Najm, فَسْجُدُوا لِلَّهِ وَعْبُدُوا at the end, 
write our notes in Surah Alaq, Wasjud Waqtarib. These are all commands. Prostrate to Allah, prostrate, prostrate. These are commands that are being given by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And also the one in Surah Sajda, that those who believe in the verses of their Lord, when they're mentioned, they fall into prostration and they're not people of arrogance. And the hadith of Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu sahih Muslim, that when the child of Adam reads a sajda and makes prostration, the Prophet said, then shaitan begins to cry and he says, I was commanded to prostrate and I refused. And he has prostrated, he, he was commanded, or that person was commanded to prostrate and they obeyed. And so I will have the fire and they will have Jannah, right? And so that's the collection, connection in, in Sahih Muslim. And Uthman radiallahu an, Ibn Abbas, Ibn Umar, others from amongst the companions, they have narrations in which it is said that if you hear the sajda, then you should make the sajda. If you hear a sajda being recited or you're reciting it, then it is something which you should do. That's one position. The second position is that it is a sunnah. Right? The third position, they make a differentiation. They say that if it's in salah, you must make the sajda. If not, then it's up to you. It's a sunnah. Outside of salah, it's a sunnah. Inside salah, it is wajib. That's a differentiation that you will find in the madhab of Imam Ahmad as one of his narrations. But that's like, you know, maybe like if you were to look at it as the two broad opinions, one is wajib and one is that it is sunnah. The ones who say that it is sunnah at all times inside, outside the prayer is the position of the Malikis, the Shafi'is and the Hanabila, the Hanbalis in their madhab. And it is also the method of the Zahiris and other scholars from Islam, Ishaq ibn Rahawi, Al-Awza'i, Layt ibn Sa'ad, Abu Thawr and others. And their evidence from this is a number of narrations also from them is the hadith of Zayd ibn Thabit radiallahu an in Sahih al-Bukhari that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam once read Surah Al-Najm and he didn't make the prostration. And also when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was asked by some of the, you know, the Bedouin man would come or someone and they would ask, Oh Allah, O oh Messenger of Allah, what do we have to do? What is obligatory upon us in our religion? And they would respond and the Prophet would tell them what they had to do. And he didn't mention sajda to tilawa as being from them, neither in the salah or outside of the salah. Even when he's explaining the salah, he never said to them, but if you happen to read one of those verses, you must make prostration. And they also used the narration of Al-Bukhari of Umar radiallahu an, that one week he read uh, Surah Al-Nahl upon the minbar, Yom al-Jumu'ah, on the Friday prayer on the minbar. He was reciting it as he was giving his sermon and he got down and he made the sajda. And then the next week he didn't make the sajda and he, as he was reciting another verse of sajda and he said to the people, this is so that you will know that it's not an obligation. Sometimes I do it and sometimes I leave it. And there are similar narrations of Umar radiallahu an, that he would did the same in Surah Al-Sajda when he was leading it on uh, Friday morning for Fajr, as was the Sunnah. Sometimes he would make the sajda in Surah Al-Sajda after its, in its recitation and sometimes he would leave it. Right? Those scholars who say it's an obligation and this is a long, you know, back and forth, they will obviously say, for example, the hadith of you know the, the Bedouin man or the, the Arab who comes and wants to know about the religion. The Prophet didn't tell them everything. For example, he didn't tell them that it's obligatory to be respectful to your parents. It's an obligation to look after your children. It's an obli-. He didn't go through everything. He told them what they needed to know in terms of what will give them the basis of Islam. Does it mean that there's nothing else that that person does or doesn't have to do? Right? That's how they respond to that. And likewise, the... Uh, you know the hadith of Umar radiallahu an, some of those scholars who say it's an obligation make a, an exception to that rule and that rule exception would be the Jum'ah khutbah because of the difficulty of getting off the minbar and doing and the confusion that that causes and so on and so some of them made that but the point is that you can go back and forth the stronger of these two opinions and Allah Azza wa knows best is the second that it is a sunnah that it is highly recommended but it's not something which should be left unless there's a good reason and one of the things that we've become kind of laxed with is the word sunnah now, right? The word sunnah means, okay, it's a free-for-all, it's a choice. Actually, if you look in the statements of the Salaf, 
especially the early Muslims, and had they understood that term sunnah, it was, why would you leave it? It's a term that you don't leave. It's moral, it's not wajib, it's not an obligation, but for all intents and purposes, no Muslim who understands that they need as much reward as they, as they can would leave it. It would only be left if a person's ill. It's only left because the person doesn't have a choice or they forget or they become so busy on a particular day or an occasion that then they, therefore they have to make a choice and they make the choice of leaving that sunnah. But as a matter of course, as part of a powerful day every day that you're just going to miss out sunnah after sunnah after sunnah, whether it's this one or that one or another one, that's not something which the Salaf understood as a concept. And one of the problems in our usuli understanding, when we have the usul al-fiqh understanding of, oh, you don't get punished, but you get rewarded. We kind of therefore you know, equate that to mean, okay. And it's the same thing with the word makroh, right? Disliked. And that's a whole different discussion, inshallah, if we ever do, for example, some of the early works of, of hadith or something, you will see that distinction. If you ever read them in the books of, of hadith of Tirmidhi and others, you will see how the Salaf understood those concepts and those words and terminologies, how it's changed over time. And this is one example. So yes, it is a sunnah, but why would you leave it? So if you read in the Quran by yourself and you, you can make sajda, make sajda. Why would you not make sajda? If you're praying by yourself and you're going to read a verse in which there is sajda, why would you not make sajda? Right? The exception to that would be in a case like where in a classroom setting where the verse is going to be repeated over again or a Quran class, the students got to read the verse and memorize it over and can't make sajda every time and we'll come on to this as well. Uh, but it's something which therefore... You know, in those kind of situations, because of the difficulty, and that's what we found from our teachers, from our Quran teachers and our Hadith teachers and other teachers, they would mention these verses of the Quran or on the minbar, the khatib. It doesn't come off unnecessarily make sajda, especially when it's difficult for a great deal of people, a great mass of people to follow them in that regard. So that's for the one who's reciting themselves. What about the one who's listening? There's two types of people that are listening. One who is attentively listening, meaning he's actually following the recitation by listening. And the other one is someone who's not listening attentively. They happen to pass by or they're just sitting in the location. They're in the masjid, for example. Everyone's reading the Quran. He's kind of listening to the people around him, but he's not really listening to them. That's two different things. The one who is actually listening, like attentively listening, then those scholars who said that it is wajib, say it's wajib for this person as well. right? Whether if you said in the previous opinion, the one who recites has to, it's wajib, then in this opinion they say it's wajib as well. And if they said it's sunnah, they said it's sunnah here as well. As for the one who's not attentively listening, that's where there is slightly more difference of opinion. The Hanafis still say it is wajib. The Hanafis, mashallah, consistent the whole way through. Wajib, wajib, wajib. Right? And that's because, you know, fair play to them, they, they have their evidences and that's the evidence that they follow. And that doesn't make a distinction. If you're going to take the evidences, they don't differentiate. So you can't differentiate either. You can't differentiate either. And those scholars who said that it is sunnah, then they said it is sunnah. And others from amongst the scholars said, that actually, no, you don't have to do it. It's not even sunnah. Because you weren't really listening at all. And that's the position of the Malikiyah and the Shafi'iyah and the Hanabila. And that seems to be the stronger opinion. And they based that upon uh, the narration of Uthman عن, that he used to pass by someone or he passed by someone once and he was reading a verse of sajda and he prostrated. And Uthman didn't do so. And he said, no, that prostration is for the one who's actually listening to him. I just happen to be passing by, right? You're in the masjid, everyone's reading the Quran. You know, every, all of a sudden, if everyone's reading Surah Maryam and everyone's going to sujood, you'd just be constantly going into sajda with each person's different recitation. It's not the meaning of this ruling. So it's for the one who is attentively listening or is there and is paying attention to them. As for the one who isn't, then there is no sajda for them. The question now is, 
uh, one of the questions that some of the scholars had is should it be recited this verse because of the confusion that sometimes it has right we've probably all been in the masjid where maybe in taraweeh right the imam uh, maybe if, especially if, uh, in some masjid they don't they don't necessarily announce that there's going to be a sajda for tilawa right that there's going to be a sajda for prostration is it therefore recommended for an imam to recite verses in the salah that has a sajda in it because sometimes it leads to confusion, right? The person behind doesn't know that it's a verse of sajda. They're going to record, you've gone to sajda as the imam. And then you have, therefore you have this kind of situation where people are in different levels. So uh, the majority of the scholars said, yes, it is allowed. And it is allowed for them to do so because the Prophet ﷺ did so. Clearly we have a number of narrations in which he did so. Even though some of the scholars said that it is disliked, right? Especially in the fard prayer because they feared that it would confuse certain people and therefore it would mess up their salah. But the more pertinent question is what about in a silent prayer? In Dhuhr or Asr, the Imam decides, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to read Surah Najm. I'm going to read Surah Inshiqaq. I'm going to read those verses from Surah Al-Hajj. What about that? The opinion of some of the scholars is that is disliked. That is disliked. And that is the position of the Hanafis and the Hanabila. Right? That it is disliked for a person to do so. And the second position is that it is disliked if it is in a fard prayer, not in a nafila prayer, right? So uh, that would you know, potentially be, uh, th that's the position of the Maliki Madhab. And others said, it's not disliked at all. The Shafi'is and the Hanabila said, he can recite what he wants. The whole Quran is allowed to be recited so you can recite what you want. And Allah, Allah knows best, but what seems to be more, um, uh, and, and similar to this, let us, let us go on to uh, two related issues. What about if then if he's reciting that surah now, and he read, read And it's a silent prayer, it's Dhuhr or Asr. Does he now go into Sajda? Does he now go into Sajda? Those who said that it's allowed for him to recite that verse, say he can go into Sajda. And those who said that he shouldn't, it's not good, it's disliked, then they say it's disliked for him to go into Sajda as well. Right? It's disliked for him to go into Sajda as well. Uh, and what about those people who are following him then? What do they do? Do they also go into Sajda? Again, those scholars who said that, they, that, that, they, that you follow the Imam, they said you go into the sajda. So whatever the Imam does, you do. Others said, no, they don't follow him in this because it's not part of the actual salah. This is something extra that he is doing. right? And other scholars said that it is a choice. The point is, in this, the stronger opinion seems to be when it comes to silent prayers, that you should avoid reciting those types of verses. The Imam should recite... Uh, avoid reciting those types of verses as well as the people behind them if they're for example reading to themselves and if they do recite it then they shouldn't go into sajda because that is something which will cause a great deal of confusion that is something which definitely will cause a great deal of confusion in the op the loud prayer if you read for example even if there's a handful of people that don't know that it's a verse of sajda there's normally enough people I know that it's a sajda verse, right? They and you can cotton on in taraweeh. We've all had it happen where you didn't know, but you kind of realize people realize the imam's going to sajda. Okay, it's a sajda tilawa, and very easily you can overcome that. But in a silent prayer, that would be a very difficult thing to do, and the confusion that it will lead to. And then you got women in a different hall, and maybe men in a different hall, and all of those other uh, logistical uh, issues that normally come into play uh, in our masajid. Sheikh bin Baz rahimahullah ta'ala was asked this question. And he said that someone did this. And he said he shouldn't have read those verses in the first place. And even if he was going to, he shouldn't have made sajda. So even if you're thinking, you know what, I, I'm going to read the whole Quran in my own salah. And therefore, I'm sooner or later going to come across a verse in Surah Araf or somewhere else of sajda. Then you don't make the sajda. If you're the imam, because it's going to cause 
problems, right, for the people behind you. When it comes to the sajda in salah, right, the position of the majority of the scholars is that you would make the takbir. So in salah, you say Allahu Akbar to go into sajda, Allahu Akbar to come out. And that is because of the hadith in Bukhari that the Prophet would make takbir whenever he would go down or he would come up in the salah. And that's the general hadith, so that includes this as well. You don't raise the hands according to the majority of the scholars, even though in one position of the madhab of Imam Ahmad, you do raise the hands to go into that sajda. But the majority of the scholars said, uh, said no. The majority of the scholars said no. What if, uh, I think someone asked the question, what if you're going to read the last verse of Surah Najm and then you go into sajda, then you come out, can you go straight into ruku'? It is allowed for you to go into, straight in, into ruku' but the majority of the scholars, Amatul Fuqah, the overwhelming majority said that it is better for you to read something even if it is a couple of verses before you go into sajda rather than coming out of sajda by saying Allahu Akbar and then as soon as you stand you say Allahu Akbar and go into ruku' right? for example if you're the Imam because that also causes confusion and to make that type of movement you know, is, isn't the norm in salah. And so therefore you leave a small break even if you're going to read and that's why you will often find for example in Surah Al-Najm or for example if it's Surah Al-Alaq if someone's going to read them then they will read the next Surah or, or the few verses that come after it in the next Surah before they go back into, into Sajda and that is the position of the majority of the scholars of Islam. The, uh, and similar to this is the question what about if the Imam is leading now in, in a silent prayer or if it's the last two rakahs of Maghrib of, of Isha or the last rakah of Maghrib and we're reading to ourselves now as part of the congregation I happen to read a surah in which there is a sajda the imam is he's not going to go into sajda but I have can I go into sajda independently of the imam the majority of the scholars said no it's not allowed because the Prophet commanded us to follow the imam and that is the position of the majority and it is the strongest position because that is of the hadith that you will find even though some scholars said uh, that it is allowed. Another scholar said, no, that person waits till the end of salah and then they make the sajda. But both of those are weaker opinions and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. When it comes to outside of salah, right? so that's all to do with salah, inside of salah. What about outside of salah? The main issue here, right, just to summarize, because I don't want to go into each one detail, it's not a fiqh class, uh, even though it's kind of become a fiqh class, but it's not really something which we want to go into that level of detail. I think Sheikh Abu Isa probably has done something uh, on this uh, and so he's probably done in more detail in a better way than I could so you can refer to that inshallah ta'ala but generally when it comes to outside of salah the issue here pertains to the the crucial issue here is is the sajda tilawa salah or not salah when I make a sajda for prostration is that a form of salah or not salah if I say it's salah then the conditions and the and the rules that apply to salah apply to this I have to face the qibla I have to be in a state of wudu I have to make sure uh, you know, for example, that I say Allahu Akbar, that I, that I do certain things because that is how salah is performed. If I say it's not salah, it's an independent act of worship that I do, but it's not salah. Because salah, as we know in its definition, you begin with the takbir, you end with the tasneem, it has certain actions, certain movements, so on. So therefore it is not salah, that means that the rulings of salah don't apply unless there is a clear hadith to state so. So therefore, even though it is better for me to be in a state of wudu, better for me to face the qibla, but if I can't for whatever reason, 
or I don't happen to be in a state of wudu, I'm reading from my memory, then I don't have to be in a state of wudu to make that sajda. That's where the difference of opinion outside of salah essentially comes back to this issue. So all of the small details of, you know, can you, do you make the takbir independently? Do you stand up? If you're sitting down, some of the scholars said, you stand up and then you go into sajda. Why? Because Allah says they fall into prostration. You don't only fall if you're from a height position, right? If you're sitting down, you're not falling into sajda. You're doing that from a standing position and so on. Those issues, where do they come from? They come from this central issue. Is it salah or not salah? Those scholars who said that it is salah, Right, which is the majority of the madhabs, to be frank, such as the four imams and so on, they therefore said that you have to make, you know, face the qibla and make sure that you're uh, in a state of wudu and have your awrah covered and all of, all of those other rules and conditions that you're aware of. And others said, no, it's not salah. Right? It's not salah. It's something independent. And therefore, those rules don't apply. And this is the position of Imam al-Tabari, rahimahullah ta'ala. As you remember, he was, as we said, in his own right, a scholar of fiqh, right? and he had his own madhab, right? people used to be called al-jariri, jariri meant, Ibn Jarir is his name, obviously al-tabari, jariri meant that you followed the madhab of Ibn Jarir al-tabari, rahimahullah ta'ala, this was the position of Ibn Hazm, and the position of al-Sha'bi, and Sa'id ibn Musayyib, and Ibn Battal even said that many of the scholars of the Salaf held this position, and it was the one that was chosen and supported by Ibn Taymiyyah, rahimahullah, and that seems to be stronger, because all of the verses, all of the hadith that speak about salah, all of them say, for example, that you must begin with the takbir and with the taslim. They say, for example, there's no salah for the one who doesn't read Fatiha, Surah Al-Fatiha. All of those issues that we know, none of them generally apply to Sajdat Al-Tirawa. And so therefore to make that Qiyas isn't a correct Qiyas and Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala knows best. Another question therefore is what about when it comes to repetition? If I'm going to repeat a verse that has Sajdah, then do I have to make Sajdah continuously as well? The majority of the scholars uh, or some of the scholars said yes, the Shafi'is and the Malikis said yes, you do. And others from amongst the Shafi'iyah said you do it after every so often. So you make a sajda and then now maybe after 15-20 minutes, if you're still doing that, you make another sajda because now it's a good gap and then like this. But you don't have to make it every single time. Another scholar said, and this is the position of the uh, Hanafi Madhab, is that you just make it once and it's enough. Right? And as I said to you practically, Unless someone is doing something like a khatam of the Qur'an where they're reading the whole Qur'an to a teacher for an ijazah or something, our teachers wouldn't ask us to make sajda in terms of studying. If you're reading fiqh or you're doing tafsir or something and you get a verse or hadith and you come across this verse that you fall into sajda, I didn't come across any of our shuyukh or ulama from any of the madhabs doing this. And Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. So it seems like this is something which you do in terms of recitation. If you're actually intending to recite or memorize the Qur'an, this is where this situation applies. Right? And the only time we would make this type of sajda is when there would be a sajda because we're making a full reading of the Qur'an, for example, for the ijazah of the Qur'an or something similar to that or uh, something like that, then we would make the sajda and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. Um, okay, And therefore, everything else that comes onto this issue, do I have to stand if I'm sitting down to make the sajda? Do I have to make the takbir? Uh, do I have to, for example, say that the sneem afterwards is there at the shahud? Do I have to raise my hands? All of those issues come back to that central issue. If it's salah, then you will find that a good number of those scholars said it is recommended or it is a must. And if you say that it is not salah, and that's why the four madhabs will, will all have issues concerning it. They will all say one of those positions because all four madhabs said that it is a type of salah. But the stronger position Allah knows best, all of them will say no. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. So if you're reading Quran, you come across a verse of sajda, 
You don't have to stand up. You don't have to say Allahu Akbar. You don't have to raise your hands. You don't have to say salams afterwards. You don't have to make the shahwad or anything else because there is not salah. Right? And that's an easy way, an easy kind of rule for you to kind of remember this issue without us having to go into all of this detail. Uh, one of the final issues is what do we say in this sajda? Right? What do we say in this sajda? You say anything that is generally uh, from the adhkar of sujood. Right? So if you were to say subhana rabbil ala or something, that would be sufficient. But there are certain du'as that have been mentioned. Certain du'as that have been mentioned authentically. For example, the one of Aisha radiallahu anha in Abu Dawood and Tirmidhi. That, that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would say, Sajada wajhi lilladhi khalaqahu wa sawwarahu wa shakka sam'ahu wa basara bihawlihi wa quwwatih. Which means that my face has fallen to prostration to the one who, for the one who created it and fashioned it. And he extracted its hearing and its sight with his might and his power subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? Those and similar ones you will find within the books of dua. And they are authentic and therefore some of the scholars said those are better to make rather than the general adhkar of, of sajda. Okay. And with that, insha'Allah ta'ala, we come to the end. So if there's any questions... And I know that I kind of rushed that towards the end, but I hope that you at least benefited from the earlier discussion anyway, which was concerning the actual places of sajda and the difference of opinion and so on. And then the rulings I wanted to mention, because uh, a lot of us have those questions or we come across this situation, and it's important to know them. But I, I, I can appreciate that this was done with, uh, you know, kind of like fast, and so uh, there's probably other places that you will get that information in a much more structured and, and, and calmer fashion. Okay, so if there's any questions, let's take a few questions, inshallah, and then we conclude for today. And then, inshallah, next week, we will, inshallah ta'ala, do al-waqf and ibtida. Okay, uh, Shahanara asked, if I'm in salah and I end the rak'ah with the sajda, what do I do? What kind of sajda do I do? Do I do normal sajda or a tilawa sajda? If you end the rak'ah, as we said, with the sajda ayah, you make sajda and then you get up and you recite some more and then you go into ruku'ah. If done in a quiet prayer, can one do the sajda tilawa later or the sajda tilawa can be done in retrospect? So this is only in the situation where you're part of a congregation and it's a sign of prayer. If you're praying by yourself, you can make the sajda straight away. It's not a problem. The question is because you're in jama'ah now, for you to do it out of turn, no one else is doing it, that's where the problem comes. Can you do it then at the end? Some of the scholars said yes. Others such as Imam and Nawi said no because there's you know sajda tilawa is done by the verse. It's not done later. It's not done half an hour later and so on. And if especially if you follow the position... Uh, that it's not part of the salah, then it's not something which you have to do anyway. And Allah Azza wa knows best. What is the narration mentioned where Uthman was passing by and the listeners did such tilawah and he didn't need to? Uh, I will have to check that for you. I just closed my notes, but I can inshallah see if I have the reference for that on me. Uh, but I don't know where that is now. Anyway, if you remind me inshallah ta'ala next week, or maybe put it up on the chat, inshallah ta'ala, in the chat group on Telegram. I will inshallah try to find that for you. I don't know exactly where that is now and I don't want to uh, take the time looking for it. Okay, uh, you mentioned that the moon can do sajda tilawah after salah has finished. Is that a restricted time span? So that's what I said, right? So some of the scholars said yes, others said no because of the time that, that uh, passes by. And I think that is a stronger opinion. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. If I'm listening to the Quran in my car and I have sajda comes, do I need to do it? It is recommended for you to do it in a safe way. If you can do it in a safe way, then yes. And just like you would make sajda if you were on, for example, sitting down or on a horse as the Prophet would do, or a camel or riding beast, or if you're on a plane or so on, it's just exactly the same manner. But yes, if you can do it and it's safe for you to do so, not if you're the one driving and if it's not going to be safe, then clearly you leave it. Right? 
um, aside of the recommended du'as in a tirmidhi, can other can other can one add extra du'as? Yes, generally any du'a that you can make in sajda is okay to make. But obviously to use the ones that were made and authentically mentioned by the Prophet as being specifically made in that particular sajda is always better. Right? To stick to that is always better and more recommended. Okay, so inshallah ta'ala we're going to conclude with that. Jazakumullah khairan. Wa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. 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 Wa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam.